faithwire.com. Well, there is another update in one of the major court cases against a Christian baker. We'll have that story and more. Today is Thursday, January 27, 2022. I'm Dan Andros. This is the 4 and 3 podcast. You can find us on iTunes. Go ahead and give us a subscribe over there. We'd love to have you with us. With me, as always, Trey Goins Phillips and Billy Hallowell from CBNsFaithWire.com. What is going on, fellas? We are, as always, living the dream. <laughs> we are. We are. Um, are you so paused I'm there gonna... for a minute. I'm sorry. You paused there. Was yeah, he like, wasn't sure. Not convincing. I, well, <laughs> right. I was still deciding, like, eh, I don't know. But it's Thursday. It's Friday, Junior. So, you know, we're coming up on the weekend. Um, so I'm going to be talking today. We have an op-ed up on faithwire.com. It's really cool. It's about this guy who found God through atheist Richard Dawkins. <laughs> this is going to make uh, Dawkins so, sad. Yeah, definitely an example of how God works in mysterious ways. Mm. Well, we also have a very sad story. It's about a man who was killed while he was allegedly sharing his faith out in Montgomery, Alabama over the weekend. And we'll give you the details on that story. All right. And we'll look forward to those stories. We're going to start right here with the Oregon Court of Appeals. They have reversed part of a state decision that forced Christian bakers Aaron and Melissa Klein out of business by penalizing them 135 grand for refusing to create a custom cake for a same-sex wedding. You may remember this story. This was one of the sort of high-profile cases out of a couple that were uh, targeted against Christian bakers. And so the court found that a state agency, the Oregon Bureau of Labor and Industries, B-O-L-I, acted with bias against the baker's religion, sending the case back to the same agency to reconsider the damages award. So this ruling comes after the Supreme Court slapped the state of Colorado for showing, quote, hostility against Christianity in a similar case that was Masterpiece Cake Shop. Um, and you may, may remember that story as well. Is Jack, is this Phillips his last name, Billy? Is Jack Phillips, right? Yeah. For the yeah, masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, this is the Colorado Baker. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I wasn't 100% sure on his last name, but I, I remember his first name. Same as my son. So, uh, but the 37 page opinion in the Oregon, uh, Oregonian uh, concluded that, quote, when viewed in light of Masterpiece Cake Shop, BOLI's handling of the damages portion of the case does not reflect the neutrality toward religion required by the free exercise clause. And then they added that the prosecutor's closing argument, apparently equating the client's religious beliefs with prejudice, together with the agency's reasoning for imposing damages in connection with Aaron's quotation of Leviticus, uh, reflect that the agency acted in a way that passed judgment on the client's religious beliefs, something that is impermissible under the Masterpiece Cake Shop ruling. So... CBN uh, has uh, reported and Faithwire back about the Kleins uh, for years now, and they were fined um, way back when for refusing to make a cake uh, that promoted a gay commitment ceremony. They were punished, as I mentioned earlier, 135 grand. Uh, that was back in 2013, and so uh, the case ended up going all the way up to the Supreme Court in 2019. And it went on from there. So um, so there you have it. Uh, somewhat positive steps. Not over yet. But it's insane, guys, that this is actually still even going on. It's going on. I mean, this is a cake shop. They're not 
you know, 135 grand plus all whatever they're paying in attorney's fees to deal with all this stuff. Um, it's got to be a nightmare for a small business like that, like that. And, um, you know, it's just probably wreaked havoc on their lives. Billy, I think you've probably caught up with them a few times. And so, you know, their story a little bit, uh, more in detail, but, um, the, the general idea here and why it matters guys is I think we're going to see probably maybe not necessarily the, the cake and the baker, uh, thing keep happening, but I think you're going to see attacks on sort of Christian beliefs in normal spheres of life that are labeled as, um, you know, bigotry or, um, you know, whatever they use to label it. I think you're going to see more of those, uh, in, in the future. Yeah. And I think that the real underbelly of this too, is not just what happened with the government here. And you have to remember that in, in their state in Oregon and really in Colorado, these agencies, from what I've understood in my coverage of this, they're almost like the DMV. Like they're these, these strange government bureaucracies that are suddenly given the power to decide how much they're going to find somebody. And in this case, everybody seemed shocked, even people in the LGBTQ community, that the fine was $135,000. Yeah. I mean, that was always something that really didn't sit well with a lot of people on, on both sides of the issue. But the real underbelly is the fact that Look, they lost their business. They had vandalism on their property. Um, I believe it was their their van where they actually you know delivered the cakes. That was vandalized after they were basically harassed out of business. And you know, I guess the the free market spoke where they live, and and they wanted a business. And you know, I've interviewed them many times, and I will tell you the thing that stands out to me most is that in court when they've had to face that couple, they've actually hugged the couple. Like they've shown love to these mm. people. So they're not these evil, hateful, awful people that they've been painted by so yeah. many to be. And I think that's important in this case. Yeah. I think the crazy thing is, is that uh, this is just how the media cycle and the political cycle works, right? Like we, uh, people descend on this one person, this one group, one family, whatever the situation is, uh, and they wreak all of this havoc and then it's no longer trending anymore and nobody cares, but, but the damage is still being done and the, the legal legalities like in this and Jack Phillips case is still being worked out. So there are, are ramifications that they have to continue dealing with uh, that just because it's not in the news anymore, doesn't mean it's not still going on. Um, so I, we, I talked to them, I think this was last summer. Um, and I asked him um, as a Christian, uh, I said, you, you know, you know, God uses all things for his glory. And I asked how God has used what he's been through. And he told me, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind with that question is my family. This is a very small bakery. My wife and I own it. My daughter works here. My other two kids have worked here at different points in time. But going through this helped our family grow together, and that has been a great mm. blessing. Um, so he has a he has an incredible perspective uh, for all that he's been through. And I think, if nothing else, that's something that we can look back and learn from. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that is really great perspective there. Absolutely. So, um, you know, sadly, the, these things are going to keep going on. And I guess that's that's a nice perspective to have. It's like you know. It's, as tough as things may be, like we use these opportunities to glorify God and, and point people to him or point our families to him in all these situations. Yeah. So that's a good, uh, that's a good lesson to take away from that for sure. Yeah, for sure. All right. So story number two, speaking of pointing people to God, apparently uh, Richard Dawkins, who's possibly one of the most famous, famous atheists, uh, you know, ever, at least in, in the modern, modern age, he apparently pointed somebody to Christ 
probably unintentionally. Uh, so we have, a, we, I'm just guessing, uh, but we have a new uh, op-ed from a guy named Peter Byram up on faithwire.com. And I encourage y'all to, to definitely go, uh, whoever's listening, to definitely go over to faithwire.com and check it out. Uh, he wrote about how he was initially an atheist or at best an agnostic uh, who was going down the Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris rabbit hole on the internet uh, and just consuming more and more and more of that content because he was, he was already sympathetic toward it. Like he, he grew up Christian, but it kind of walked away from it and was uh, off at college and, you know, thought higher of himself than needing God anymore. So he was already going down that path. Uh, and this is what happened. So he said, it was toward the end of my time at university around 2007, after having been exposed to the then new atheists, such as Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens, that I decided I could no longer believe in the Christianity of my upbringing. I began to consider atheism as a genuine alternative and thought myself to be embracing a more sophisticated view of things, including the animal nature of humanity. He said one of his best friends had just become an atheist uh, and credited his newfound atheism to The God Delusion, which is a book obviously written by uh, Richard Dawkins. He said, I remember him telling me, you've got to read this book. He called it amazing. Uh, so that was the beginning stages of him uh, not only embracing atheism, uh, but very much becoming a fan of Richard Dawkins. So like I said, he then just went down a rabbit hole on YouTube, watching all of these videos, all of these debates. Uh, and he said, I saw so many people, so many believers, Christians, who they had the right information, but they were ill-equipped to debate uh, Richard Dawkins. Uh, so he said, I would see time and time again, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, just completely in his view, win the debate over and over again, because like I said, a lot of the guys uh, or people he was watching on the Christian side just didn't seem, you know, to the same intellectual caliber or, you know, whatever. They were not prepared uh, for the debate. He said, but then he discovered William Lane Craig, who is uh, a well-known uh, apologist, and he debates uh, for the Christianity side. Uh, and he started seeing a lot of his videos. Uh, and then he saw Richard Dawkins repeatedly refuse uh, to have a debate with William Lane Craig over the years. And I thought, well, if you, you know, you're as smart as I believe you are, uh, you are as confident of atheism as you say you are, you've written about it, but you refuse to have a debate with William Lane Craig, uh, at least at you know, that time that he was, he was exploring atheism. He said, you know, I, I wanted Richard Dawkins to go up against a heavyweight, you know, that was equal to him, uh, and he he wouldn't do it. Um, so he said that was when I started to wonder, I wonder if there's some holes uh, in what uh, Richard Dawkins thinks. Uh, so he kept exploring Richard Dawkins, but he also started, uh, you know, exploring uh, some apologists on the Christian side. Uh, and anyway, as it, you know, there's some more details in the story, but as it turns out, he ended up becoming a believer uh, through just watching the debates back and forth, you know, exploring the issue for himself and saying, I don't know, this, it seems like there's more on the side of the Christian uh, than there is on the atheist. And now he has this new piece up on faithwire.com uh, where he said it was his exploration uh, of Richard Dawkins that ultimately led him to question whether atheism is all that true or not. Uh, and he ended up becoming uh, a believer uh, and now works uh, for a Christian company and helps produce uh, some Christian podcasts and other stuff like that. So uh, he's definitely come a long way from you know, the, the skeptical agnostic that he was 
uh, to now being a believer. Uh, and a lot of it is because of it, his exploration of atheism and, and of Richard Dawkins. So it just goes to show to me, guys, this is why it matters. You know, God works in mysterious ways. I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but it's true. You know, God will work uh, in, in the, the craziest of ways, in ways that are nonsensical to us. He will use a, a, a world-renowned atheist uh, to bring someone to the foot of the cross. And that's what uh, happened uh, with Peter. Uh, so it's just, it's an incredible story of faith. And it shows that, you know, no, no amount of, of facts. Uh, we were talking about that in church the other day. Uh, if you're, you know, so committed to an intellectual belief in God, uh, the reality is you're never going to have enough facts. Like you can say, no, but show me this. Prove to me, God, that you are can, that you're God by showing me this or doing this or doing this, or whatever. You're never going to have enough facts. Uh, eventually, you're just going to have to trust God in faith. And that's the that's the point that Peter's come to. And it's just, it's really cool to see. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you could pray for Richard Dawkins. He's probably feeling pretty sad that all of his <laughs> argumentation there got him uh, someone to go the other way. An unintentional evangelist there. Yeah. But, well, this is a sidebar, but one of my favorite videos of Richard Dawkins is... Um, uh, from the movie Expelled with Ben Stein, have you guys ever watched that one? The Alien Club. Uh, yes, exactly. When he, when he, when Ben Stein keeps asking him, like, "Well, where did that come from?" And he's like, "Well, you know," he's like, "I, I guess that uh, Space porcupines." Yeah, because he, yeah. he kept pushing it back to like, "Well, where did life, you know, start? Where did the first molecules come from?" And he goes, "Well, probably an advanced society in some other planet that's evolved super far. Probably came down here and transplanted it on our." On our planet. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so the, yeah, the aliens. Anyway, it's a fantastic clip. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. But, uh, but that's true, Trey. I mean, it, what you're talking about there, God working in mysterious ways. God, you know, you don't have to be fearful that that there are these, you know, prominent atheists out there, you know, making these arguments because God's still going to use them ultimately for His purposes. So we can rest in that. That's that's a great example of that. Yeah. Yeah, you know what else we can rest in, though? Like, the idea that they keep saying, the atheists always say the burden of proof is on the Christians. Well, you're saying there's a God. No, the burden of proof is on you, the people saying that everything came from nothing and that it's all magical. (laughs) Right. You know, and that it just somehow, poof, it was here. To me, the burden of proof is is on those people. I think, you know, look, at the end of the day, faith is faith. You know, it's sometimes, we can't walk around and say we've got all the proof and they're going to see it openly. Your heart has to be open to it. But the reality is they're the ones that really have to prove that it's all a mistake. Well, I think what everybody misses is they, as we were talking about with John Cooper on faith versus culture, Billy, um, that people have a starting point. They have a a lens through which they're seeing the world. And a lot of these atheists don't admit that. Mm -hmm. They think they're just being neutral and they're just examining the evidence. But their starting point is materialistic world. And so they do have a starting yeah. point. They're not just looking at it because, like you said, I mean, you, no matter amount, you could present any amount of evidence. You know, what amount of evidence, atheist, would would it take for you to then be convinced? You know, a lot of times it ends up being just a, a submission problem. There, you know, well, if you were standing face to face before God, would you actually submit to God? I think you'll find a lot of times you'll find the answer from atheists to be no, because I don't like that God of the Bible, and that's really more of the issue there, but. That's just my, me, that's me, my take. Me, 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 me. Yeah. 
I think something, this is a good reminder too, of it was last year I was talking with uh, Sean McDowell. Uh, I know he's been on, on faith versus culture too. I was yeah. talking with him about deconstructing faith and this trend of people deconstructing their faith. And I think this is a good time to remember what he said to me, which was uh, that anybody who has questions about God, about their faith, is dealing with doubt, should not feel that they need to isolate themselves or that they can't bring those questions to a trusted authority or a pastor or a friend. Uh, he said, because the reality is God is big enough for our questions, right? There, there is not a question that is going to take God by surprise. Right. That's that he's going to be caught flat footed on. He said, we might as believers, like you might have a friend who's questioning and, and that friend might ask you something and you might be caught flat footed. Uh, you might not know the answer, but the reality is you can just say, we're both believers or we're, you know, we're both in perfect at, at least. So how, do, how about we explore this together and let's figure out the answer together? Uh, you know, because the reality is, is that uh, God wants to hear our questions because God wants to have relationships with us. Um, so we shouldn't be afraid to bring those questions to God and certainly to, to trusted believers. Hmm. Well, that brings us to our next story. And this one is really tragic. It's about a man who was shot to death in Montgomery, Alabama. He was reportedly out sharing the gospel over the weekend. And this is something that he and his family, and right now, by the way, the details of this are, are sort of hard to piece together. But from what we're being told, um, he and his family on Saturdays would go out and they would share um, you know, the gospel with people out in Montgomery in difficult neighborhoods. 37-year-old year old Thomas Hand. He was the husband of former Miss Mississippi Christine Hand, and he died at the scene of the crime. The most horrific part of this story is that he was apparently gunned down in front of his two-year-old. Um, so he's there on the street sharing his faith, and some outlets have reported that his wife was also there with him. She has spoken out about this and given very little information, understandably. I can't imagine, you know, you know she's being inundated and people are coming to her. They want to know what happened. And she posted a Facebook message on the 23rd, the day after this happened. She thanked everybody for their thoughts and for their prayers. And she said she feels their love and support and that when the time is right, She's going to give more details, but she did say, indeed, Tommy was shot and killed last night on Texas Street in Montgomery. Um, she goes on to say that she was overwhelmed, and she continues to be um, by having to continue to retell this story. I mean, keep in mind, this is 24 hours after he was gunned down. She's you know posting this on Facebook. Um, and again, she'll reveal the details at a later date. She she asked her husband's supporters, he actually owns a company, a nutrition company, to continue um, you know, shopping with them and that she's going to continue serving them. And that was kind of heartbreaking to read. But she said, you know, we need the help. We need the support uh, because she's pregnant. She's pregnant with the couple's second child. And they had just revealed that they were expecting a child. And so it's just it's a heartbreaking story all around. We, we got some details on Thomas Hand, um, the victim on his background. He became a Christian in 2018, apparently. And that was sort of the start of him exploring the Bible, exploring scripture, and then going out with his family into those tough neighborhoods to share their faith. Uh, from what we know, it appears um, a man approached him. He was mumbling and ended up opening fire, killing him. She actually, the wife, um, 
wrote an email apparently to the Daily Mail and did confirm that this was a random act of violence. She said it was a complete random act of violence and that what the outlet was reporting um, is true. So a lot of details are floating around, uh, but why does it matter? I mean, it's really insane. We don't know what the motive is, but you have this couple, you have this guy, he's out there with his kid, his two-year-old, and he's trying to just share the truth, share the gospel with people. And he loses his life right here in America. And again, we don't know if that was why we have no idea what the underpinning, you know, issues here are, but it's just heartbreaking all around. I will say the one piece of this that was, you know, the heartwarming in light of all the tragedy was that they had tried to raise $3,000 for her and for the unborn baby and their two-year-old. And already there was well over $33,000 that had come in in just a couple of days. So heartbreaking story. We got to pray for that family. Yeah. And then that bit about the, the son, you know, talking and saying, you know, comforting him on the sidewalk while, as he was dying or dead and just, you know, man, that whole thing saying you're going to, it's okay, dad. Yeah, you're going to be okay. That you're going to be okay. It's it's That is tough stuff right there. Yeah, it so is. sad. But I mean, yeah, but on the other a, yeah, I was just going to say Trey on the other side of that is if there's a way you want to I mean, I don't I don't want to get shot, don't get me wrong, but while you're out preaching the gospel, it feels like you're going out on top. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, you know, I don't know. Just from a personal perspective like that, you know, mentally speaking from your own state like, you know, if you could choose your last moment on earth, you'd want it to at least be when you're kind of very close to God, right? And you're you're doing something super connected with with faith. Obviously, I know this is not optimal at all. I mean, he's young guy, young kids, everything else. So I'm not saying that. Uh, yeah. You know, just just one small sliver of a of of something that's at least a little hopeful in that situation is that his faith appears to be very strong. He's very connected, close to God, preaching the gospel uh, at that point, which is a good thing overall. So. Yeah. Well, I think that was what I was going to say. Is the the incredible part if you can look back, you know, obviously from the tragedy, and you can see God's sovereignty. He was just saved in 2018, yeah. so he's he hasn't been a Christian for that long, um, but he's been clearly dedicated and has been pouring over Scripture and learning about Christ, uh, and he's he's led his family in into you know, adopting that same posture. And he uh, was leading other people to Christ and his community. Uh, and now people around the country are going to hear his story about how he yeah. was uh, telling people about the gospel uh, in, a, you know, kind of a, a downtrodden uh, crime ridden area. Uh, and the, the reality is, is that his testimony that started as such a small little thing in 2018, when and he thought it was just him and God uh, and him accepting Christ has turned into this story that people all around the country are going to know and either come to know Christ or feel empowered and encouraged uh, to go out and boldly talk about Christ in their communities. So it, it's it's a beautiful display of God's sovereignty and how, you know, no matter what the circumstance looks like on earth, Christ is going to be glorified. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. All right. Uh, well, Trey, I know you have one more story here. Um, one of you guys had another one that we've got to hit before we head out here for the day. So I forget who had it, but but let's go. Yeah, let's so we we don't have a story up on, on Faithware yet, though we probably should get yeah. a story up on this guy. Uh, so he's 84 years old, and he has been driving successfully without a license for 72 years. Uh, and he was just... <laughs> <laughs> he was just pulled over for that like this week. Uh, he lives in the UK. 
um, and police pulled him over. Uh, like I said, at 84 years old, this week only discovered that he has not had a valid li- driver's license ever. Ever. Let's go. <laughs> so there you go. The, fr- from the Fox News story, the retired man who police said had trouble standing and walking admitted that he'd been driving without a license or insurance since he was 12 years old. Uh, the most fascinating part of the story, and <laughs> I'll, I'll stop talking, guys, uh, is that he has never had an accident. He's never been pulled over for anything in 72 years. He's never caused an injury. Um, and and he's, he, he only got caught at 84 years old. That's a pretty good track record. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think at that point, if you're the officer, you just... You just tip just your cap and let him go. You know, you just say, hey, who am I to stop this 72 year streak? <laughs> right. Like, let's just keep it going. Yeah. Like, he you obviously walk, know what you're drive. doing. Does he really need a license at that point? If he's has he not proven beyond it. a shadow of a doubt that 72 years. Uh, so you're going to tell me that some, you know, 15 year old, 16 year old kid that just got their license is somehow more appropriately right. allowed to be on the road than this guy who's been out there like a champ since he was you 12. Know you know what? I How did he start driving when he was 12? That's a, that's I, awesome. More props to more props to him. You know, I'm a rural person kind of, um, and you know, cause we have to be as Christians, but like if you can get around the rules for that long and not have any accidents <laughs> and whatever you're, and nobody likes the DMV and I have no idea what their version of the DMV no. is, but I'm sure it's worse than ours. It can't be much better. Yeah, yeah it can't be. My yeah. math is so bad. So, um, what was seventy-two years right. ago? So, what I years mean, ago? we give away. I, I'm not sure. My math. But we, I was just gonna say we give away honorary. We give away honorary doctorates. Yeah. Uh, he should just have an honorary, honorary driver's license, license at yeah. this point. Just yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, like he's earned it. He's and earned since it. Twelve years old. He's and been driving. Country. Give him one in America too. Yeah. <laughs> Let right. the man no drive. Accidents. Yeah, wherever it is. What do you guys even know? What the rule is on licenses, like overseas. Like you just I said, let no him have idea. it everywhere because, because I was I driving around driver's license history. In yeah. The UK. Yeah. But he should be able to drive everywhere. I mean, you know, maybe the other side of the road thing might mess him up and throw him, throw his 72 <laughs> year streak out of there. I don't know. But, uh, but that is amazing. You can apply for a license, a provisional license at 15 and nine months. He did it but at 12. He you just can started legally drive at 17, but he, the rules might've been different then. <laughs> in 1950. Well, yeah, in yeah. 1873. I'm sure they were a different. <laughs> I'm sure his buggy was a different buggy rules. than he did How did he not get pulled over when he was 12? That's what I want to know. I mean, 1950 wasn't exactly know. the wild West. You know? I mean, people were fighting in wars at 12 back then, right? I mean, I don't know. Right. It was like, what are our priorities? Let, let the 12 year old drive. Right. Let the troll. Yeah. We there just got through World roads. War II. I mean, I don't know. There, maybe there weren't even like uh, traffic cops where he was. Well, it's like if, if y'all's dad is anything <laughs> like my dad, you know, like he was carrying his books and the groceries to school up and down barefoot on a snow covered mountain. Yeah. Top. Right. So exactly. Like, you know, life must have been horrible <laughs> in the in the 50s. So that was the least of their concerns. Right. I guess, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't more, think traffic. Power to him. Yeah, I don't think traffic cops were as big of a thing back then, <laughs> probably. Um, all right. Well, that is all the time we have for this episode on Friday Junior. So, real Friday Senior is tomorrow. But until then, <laughs> head on over to cbnnews.com and faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating here on on uh, the Four and Three podcast, and uh, we will see you back here tomorrow. God bless. <laughs>